us. My grandfather, the late Reverend Dr. Joseph Lee Jr., would always say, when you open the Bible, you open God's mouth. And I believe we ought to be at attention to hear and receive what our Lord and Savior is saying. First Timothy chapter 6, starting at the 6th verse. It says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world and we can take nothing out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation into a snare into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. It is through the cravings that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. For a few moments, we want, just want to talk about great gain, great gain, great gain. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Great gain, great gain. Uh, how many of you want great gain in this life? Amen. It's okay. You can, if you want great gain, you can say amen. I, I, I want some. I want some. Fill my cup, Lord. Um, so that we have a clear context of what Paul is talking to his son Timothy about. Now, we know that Paul, uh, the apostle, uh, his son Timothy, and just so we know, uh, the church that he planted, that Paul developed, planted in Ephesus, uh, uh, Paul never intended to pastor every church that he planted. So he would raise up his sons uh, to further the ministry in that area. So when, once he developed the church at Ephesus, he left his son Timothy uh, his spiritual son wasn't his son by birth, but was his son by spirit. He left his son Timothy there, and Timothy at that point in time was in his 30s, uh, fairly young as it relates to senior leadership of a church, especially in, in the first century. Uh, he left Timothy in an order of the church. And as Timothy rises as the bishop of Ephesus, he has to deal with many personnel issues. He has to deal with many issues of people uh, in the church, many different things that they were going through that he had to face. And so he writes actually two letters to his son, Timothy, concerning the different issues that he was facing as it relates to leadership. Now, when we get to actually the top of chapter 6 and, and even when you start reading uh, uh, on even to where we get to uh, verse 6, of chapter 6, he's teaching him about false teachers. False teachers. Everybody say false teachers. teachers. Now, here's the reality about false teachers. False teachers didn't just teach false doctrine. False teachers taught doctrine that they didn't live. That's, that's number one. So it wasn't just about, because th- there, were, there, were, there were many that were teaching directly from the scripture, that were teaching directly from the testimony of Jesus Christ, but they did not live what they were teaching. That made them false. Another, another way that teachers were made false, when they, they were teaching doctrine, but they were teaching it for the basis of temporal gain. They were teaching it I guess anybody know somebody like that? God bless you. Be healed, be delivered, be set free in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, they, they were teaching it not, not because this was the will of the Lord, not because it's what God called them to do, uh, but they were teaching it for the sake of 
temporal gain. Now, so it's clear, uh, yes, even Jesus teaches us that, that, that we, we are to live according to the gospel. Paul, the very apostle, he tells the people that, that, that if I give you the spiritual things, that you should render to me back the things of life. He said it's an equal exchange. It's not, it's, it's not wrong for a minister to be paid, but they, they just have to do the work. Amen? Just like you're not going to get a check on your job if you don't do work. I mean, unless you got that good salary and that good contract and you can just show up and sleep. Amen. God bless you. You still in though. Uh, the reality is, is that every, the Bible says it like this, a workman is worthy of his hire. All right. And so, so no matter what work field you're in, if you're working, you should be paid a decent wage. Amen. We're not going to argue about that. But the reality is, is that there were many people who were jumping into the gospel because it became lucrative. When we look at the book of Acts, we see how as, as the apostles, full of the Holy Ghost, were preaching and ministering according to the word of the Lord, preaching and ministering the testimony of Jesus Christ, that people were so overcome. You read it in Acts, how people would just sell their belongings and, and they would liquidate all of their assets and they would lay it at the feet of the apostles and say, use this to further the gospel. It got so much, the Bible says, that they, they got so much money at their feet. Not only did they have money at their feet, but with more money... Come on. Oh, y'all ain't never heard Biggie, huh? More money, more problems. And, and so the more money they had, the more needs were presented. And this is why they had to call, let's go back to last week, the diaconos. One member showed me that Syria was the diaconos, but that's, that's, another, that's another question. Anyway, uh, the, the diaconos was turned into an office. Now, let's deal with this quickly. Jesus said that we all were to be diaconos. Okay, let's, let's, let's follow this for a second. Jesus said that every one of us are to be diaconos. We are to serve as diaconos. Now, what the apostles did, they turned the, they, they turned the diaconos or, or, or the diaconate, we, we would look at it as an office. They turned it into an office and we classified them as deacons. So while the deacons, they had the responsibility of managing the accounts of the apostles, everybody still had the responsibility to serve. So let's just deal with this quickly. So it wasn't just the deacons that served people. It was the deacons that administrated the, the, the accounts of the apostles. So, so the, let's deal with this quickly. So the diaconos are, are, are the deacons that were anointed in Acts chapter 6. Those were, listen to this, those were the, the apostles' deacons. And they did the work of the apostles for the people's sake on the apostles' behalf. So it is not to say that the deacons were the only ones that should have been working and serving. They were just taking particular tasks from the apostles. So let's just reiterate that one more time. Everybody should be serving somebody. If you are engaging in, in self-serving all the time and you don't, you don't have a context of serving other people, you are, you are grossly misappropriating your Christian faith. And so what happened along the way is that they began to see how the apostles were seemingly benefiting, not understanding that everything that was given to the apostles, they put it in charge of the deacon and the deacons took care of it. The deacons administered it. The deacons did the work. There were people who would engage in the quote-unquote apostolic ministry but did not have a diaconos function. Okay, let's deal with this for a second. They would, they, would, they would preach the word, receive the offering, but keep it with them. They wouldn't put it in the hands of diaconos and say, serve the people of God. They would keep it within themselves. Because they thought that that was the only way for them to get gain. Because they were short-sighted. Here it is. This is a pre-point. This is not my first point, but this is a pre-point. 
be very careful not to short-sight God because of your short-sightedness. In other words, don't think that what has come in your hands, that's the only way God can bless you. Don't think that the only way God can bless you is by doing this or by doing that. Your gifts, watch this, your gifts are supposed to make room for you. God never said that you had to profit from your gifts. Okay, we're going we're gonna to fix this. Because the church of Jesus Christ, we're now in a place, and a lot of times we know, where people, they want to get paid for their gifts. I got a gift. I use my gift, and you pay me. That's how it goes. But the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says your gift would, in fact, make room for you. And so these individuals were using their gifts for the sake of gain, not recognizing that there was a greater gain. There was a great gain that they were, uh, that they were keeping themselves from because they were so short-sighted. But we're not going to be that church, right? We're not going to be those people. We're most certainly not going to be those leaders. Let, let me just read it just just. Just so we can understand. Go, go, go back up and then we, then we go, then we go leave out of here. Look at verse three. Um, it, the conclusion of verse two, it says, teach and urge these things. Verse three, if anyone teaches a different doctrine that, that, watch this, and does not agree with the sound word of the Lord Jesus Christ and their teaching that according with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words, which produce envy, dissension, slander, and evil suspicions. Uh, he says uh, uh, they, they, they develop fiction, excuse me, friction among the people. Uh, they are deprived in their minds and they are deprived of truth. Watch this. Imagining that godliness is a means of gain. I want to say this in a way that doesn't make you uh, feel offended by people you've been around before. Because it it is not God's will that we take what we learn here and then beat people over the head with it. Let me say this. You're in a good, healthy place now. You're not in that shysty place, okay? You're not in that place that you got to text people and tweet people, you should have been here because that was for you, and you know you ain't. This is not that church. I believe that every time we're in the room, God is speaking to us. Amen? Amen. So, so we, don't, we don't use this to, to, to bash somebody else or some other place and see, that's why I'm not there now and all no, no, that's. You were there once, and you were there for the will of God, and when you finished your assignment, you moved on, okay? So we're not, we're not mad at hating nobody, amen? Amen. amen. We all eating, amen? Uh, but from this day forward, I will bless you. So I'm not mad. I'm not mad. Whatever happened, it led me here. He says, but they got, they got some issues. And he says, what I need you to do, Timothy, notice he's talking to Timothy. He says, what you need to do, you need to teach right, Teach right. Stop wasting your time rehearsing what went wrong. He says, because the more you rehearse what went wrong, you're going to start controversy. You're going to start suspicion. You're going to allow things to be, be born in the church that should not be there. He says, so when you know what's right, teach right. Teach right. Parents, if you know what's right, teach right. Just teach right. We don't have to rehearse what everybody else is doing. We don't have to rehearse all the negative things. Teach right. 
Teach what is right. Lift up a standard of holiness and righteousness through your living and through your teaching, through your giving, so that there will be no need for this covetous, for, for, for all of the dissension and all the different things that when we deal with all of those, those negative, wrongful teachings that they develop. But then he goes on to say, but godliness with contentment is great gain. When he makes this statement, and then we, and then we, we, we see there where, where he says that we ought to just be fine. And let, let's just deal with this quickly uh, so, so that we don't misunderstand what the Apostle Paul is saying. Uh, there were wealthy people in Ephesus. When you study uh, the historical account of Ephesus, Ephesus was a port town, and it was built uh, fairly close to the temple of Diana, which was somewhat of what we could uh, imagine as present-day Las Vegas. A lot of lascivious activity going on in that area. But the church at Ephesus, they, they were so industrious where they began to develop their own ecosystem. They began to, to develop their own economy to where they didn't need to go outside of the church for anything. Wouldn't it be awesome if the church had its own stores, had its own banking institutions, had, had, its, had its own institutions whereby everything we needed pertaining to life were locked into the Christian community. So we need to understand that this was not a poor, broke, podunk church. This was a strong, industrious church. This was a multifaceted, multi-layered, educated, insightful church. So, so when Paul begins to make these statements that we have just read, he's not saying that nobody should have any money. He's not saying that nobody should be wealthy. He's not saying that nobody should be rich. But what he is saying is, is when that is our goal, when that is the crux of what we do, when the only reason why you pray is so God will give to you, when the only reason why you come is so you can get, when the only reason why you do is so it can be done back to you, He said, there is an issue here. There is a problem. So let's, let's, let's look at this one more time, and then we'll, then we'll make sense of it. But he goes on to say, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Verse 7 tells us, for we brought nothing into this world, and we can take nothing out of this world. When he makes this statement, he says, I need you to understand that you have to have a proper understanding of everything you acquire in this lifetime. Many of us have inappropriate relationships with our belongings. We have inappropriate relationships with our, our automobiles, our homes, our jewelry, our, you know, all of these trappings. We, we, have, we have inappropriate relationships whereby it causes us to think, feel, believe that that. If they're gone or if they're lost or if they're taken from us, our life will not be what it once was. Or to the degree that we will cease to exist if we don't have it. Paul wants us to understand, he most certainly wants his son Timothy to understand. He says, make sure that the people understand that they can't take none of this with them. So number one thing, they need to put it in its proper place. It don't make me, it don't break me. I'm going to live or die without it. But the second thing he wants them to understand, watch this, is that they need to make appropriations for it. He says, you can't take any of it with you. So you need to make proper appropriations for it. I'm not going to hang here long, but we need to be very careful that we consider life after death. We need to be very careful to consider that we're not just living for ourselves, but we are living for those who will have to live after we're dead. 
So I love and I appreciate you, but you better make sure that you, that you have a great level of preparation concerning your death for the people that are here right now. Because I know a lot of people that will dress their children to the nines, but let them die, their children will be penniless. Because they, they've invested more in their children's closet than they have into insurances and endowments and annuities. We're not going to hang here, but I just felt it necessary to put that on the table. We need to make sure we have an appropriate relationship with the trappings of this world. That we understand I can't take it with me. We understand that I can't live with this stuff as if somebody else doesn't have to live when I get out of here. I thank God for my grandfather who, who, who set certain things in place to make sure that when he was dead that I still had something to live on. Says so you got to understand, you ain't bring it with you. And you're not going to take it out with you. But then he goes on to say in verse 8, but if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. Here's what I love as it relates to what Paul did not say. He did not say how much food. He did not say what kind of clothes. Let's deal with this for a minute. Stop trying to make somebody holy or unholy because of the lifestyle that they carry out. Hallelujah, somebody. Okay, however, however expensive their clothes are, that's on them. However, how, whatever their diet is, that's on them. Don't judge them. Because some of us, if our, if our levels of income were, were at a juxtaposition, you'd probably be eating the same way. Everything seems inexpensive until you can afford it. Everything seems too expensive until it's like, man. Because I know people, I know people that are like, I ain't never paying no thousand dollars for an iPhone. But let you get it though. Let you get that level of expendable income. Amen, amen. People, people we, 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 say, we say certain things and, we, you know, oh my goodness, oh, that ain't right. Oh my, you see, you see, love of money, the love of money. Wait a minute. He says, if you got food and if you got clothes, be content. In other words, wherever you are, whatever your station is, be content there. Now, don't get mad at somebody else because they went to school a few more years than you. Or, or they knew how to have a conversation a little bit better than you did. And they found themselves in a better situation than you have. And they're at a different station. That's okay. Because we'll always, there, will always, there will always be people at different stations. But what Paul wanted Timothy to understand and he wanted it to be communicated to the church was that wherever you are, be content there. If it's Target or Bloomingdale's, be content if it's flank sake or filet mignon, be content. Wherever it is, we don't, we, don't, we don't have to be mad at one another. We don't have to be jealous of one another. Because watch this. I believe every one of us, when we find a level of contentment, we like, we're good. You work it. I, I, I've, I've seen people, watch this. I've seen people that at different places shoot my own self, glory to God. You can't tell where I shot unless I tell you because I carry myself with a level of contentment. You have to be, he, he, says, he says, listen, if you got food, if you got clothes, be content, be, be good there, be good there. Whatever, whatever God has allotted to you, whatever God has provided to you. And for those of you who say, I don't have, please pray and believe God that he will open up a door or furthermore, that those who are supposed to be a blessing to you, they will recognize who they are and what they've been called to do and they will get into their proper position. But whatever you got, be content. Don't be mad at me because of what I have. Oh, watch this. Here it is. Don't, don't, don't look down on me because of what I have. I'm okay. Oh, my God. Why they, they don't... Where you go on vacation? Oh, really? Why, really? That's all? 
Really? What you do for your birthday? For real? You didn't turn up the whole month? What? Hey, hey, hey. I thank God for my smart final cake. You know, the, the one on Lakewood, the, the real good one. If you go there at 8 a.m. and you tell them that it's good, you know, you go there by 3, you straight. They're going to write on it and everything. Ain't nothing wrong with that smart and final cake. Ain't nothing wrong with it. You paid 300 for your cake. I paid 32.50. Got a whole sheet. Cake for two weeks. I'm content. I'm good. Don't watch this. Wherever you are on the spectrum, be happy there. Be content. Settle in there. Oh, you got to take the bus for real? What? No, what? Listen, I'm tapping. I'm fine. I'm all right. I didn't pay for this for the whole month. I can ride as much as I want to. I ain't paying no gas. You the one got to go to Arco every three days. Listen, I'm fine. My train ain't never late. Wherever you are, whatever, wherever you are, be content there. I'm good. Listen, now here it is. The reality is, is the, and the beautiful thing about the church of Jesus Christ is that all of us from our different places of contentment, watch this, when we all find levels of contentment, this is how the church becomes a safe place because nobody's jealous. I'm preaching already. Because everybody's good. I'm straight. You got what you got. I got what I got. All right? We're, we're living in a place where we are content because all of us know that by the grace of God, we are who we are and we are where we are and we have what we have. Not saying I don't need any more, not saying if he send me something, I won't take it, but as it stands. Let's, 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 let's clear this up quickly. He says, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into snare, into many senseless and harmful desires, watch this, that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Huh. I, I, I'm not, I'm not going to get into Greek and introduce you to any more new words, but, but here, here, is, here, is the, here is the biblical context of being rich. The biblical context of being rich is desiring something that's out of your immediate context. And not just your immediate context, but the context that God has created for you. Because when you study in the, in the Hebrew or in the Greek, anytime somebody gains something that God intended for them to have, they weren't called rich. They were called wealthy. Or oh, watch this. They, they, they were called blessed because it was what God bequeathed to them. It was what God wanted for them. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm going to do my best not to break anybody's heart, but some of us have to come to the realization that God never intended for us to have certain things that we desire presently. Not because, not because of any... Any, you know, thoughts or feelings or, or you know, or you're, not, you're not worthy, you're not capable. It's simply because God has a plan for your life. And God's divine plan for your life has built into it its own economy. This is why Jesus tells his disciples, he says, look to the bird. He says, look at the sparrow in its nest. It don't trip over anything because it knows that every day its creator will provide for it. I wish I had some sparrows in the room. Every day I'm coming to the conclusion that whatever I need to have, God's going to provide it. He's going to give me knowledge to work. He's going to give me knowledge to study. Whatever he's called me to do, I'm going to follow his instruction. And whatever his instruction that I follow yield, that's what I will have. And anything God doesn't give me, I understand that I was not supposed to have it in the first place. And in that regard, he says, anybody that wants anything God did not design for them to have, they're going to find themselves in a world of trouble. And so let me challenge you right now to challenge, to, to take survey of every one of your desires. Every one of your desires. 
every one of your desires. Come on, I mean, you got to do it right now, but throughout this week, I challenge you. Consider everything you want and then challenge yourself with the why. Challenge yourself with the what you're going to do with it once you get it. Because I have several friends that I know it's God's will that they be broke. No, okay, okay, okay. Well, let me not call them friends. I'm going to just say they're people that I've known, maybe I grew up with, something like that. Because, I listen, I know they're going to smoke all of it. They're going to drink all of it. The retarded girls are going to get all of their money. It's inside joke. I'll tell you later. You have to know your capacity. You have to know where you are. Notice this. Notice this. One, there, there is one person in the Bible who asked God to increase their capacity. We call him Jabez. But when he prays this prayer, watch this. He prays this prayer with the intention of national reform. He says, Lord, if you bless me, if you enlarge my territory, I will turn your people back to you. And some of us, God, watch this. He will keep us at a certain place because he knows our capacity. God will never put you in a position where it will kill you. Now, if we thank God for keeping us from physical danger and harm, why would he then give you something so that you can harm yourself? Wherever you are and whatever, whatever he, it's, there, there's some of you in here, under the sound of my voice, you're going to be wealthy. But I believe he's already developed the context of what you're going to do with your wealth. From a kingdom perspective, I believe that. I don't believe he causes kingdom people to be wealthy so they can just say, wow, I'm wealthy. But I believe every kingdom person he also puts into them an innate desire for generosity. This is what Paul says to the Corinthian church. He says he multiplies seed for the sower. So here it is. I'm of the belief. Okay, let's deal with this. Anybody who's stingy, God ain't make them wealthy. Now you might have made a good deal. You might have came up on something. Okay, I'm all right. I'm gonna leave that alone because this don't go away. I mean, if you in your heart, I mean, you know, some people like they in their heart stingy. She's my chip. Shoot, this one. You know somebody in their heart, they stingy you when they park all the way next to the white line. They want all their space. It's just in, in, in their heart, they stingy. Somebody park right there at their at, at, at lawn. They're like, ah-ah! Calling the police on them. Just parked on the street. But he goes on to say, Ten, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is though the cravings that some have, have wandered. It is, it is through these cravings that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. Now, here it is. The love of money. Now, you, you, you've heard it said before, but I, I just want to give some, some biblical clarity to it before, before we get out of here. Um, money is not evil. Money is a litmus test for the soul or the psyche of a person. Here it is. If you want to know who somebody is, give them some money. If you want to know, if you want to know the nuances of this relationship between you two, put money in it. You have some friendships that ain't never been wrong, but let some money get into it. Let it be like, okay, I'm going to pay it and you pay me back. Then you really get to, it's like, oh, oh, We had no problems till we put these dollars and cents between us. Money is it's, it's, it's going to show you who you are or who someone else is. 
So money, money is not evil. Money is a tool. Watch this. Money, here it is. <clears throat> so I don't sound like a, you know, like a, I was going to say somebody's name. So I don't sound like a, a prosperity preacher. Praise the Lord. I'm delivered from names. Amen. Almost. A little bit. Uh, so I don't sound like a prosperity preacher. I, I, I'm going to say it like this. Money is a blessing. Amen. Not have some and get some. Like, thank you, Lord. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> wow, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Needed that. <laughs> it's a blessing. But watch this. The love. Here it is. Let, let's, let's, let, let's, put it, let's put it in perspective. The love of your spouse is the root of all evil. What? If I love my husband, my wife, that's evil? When Paul makes this statement, what he's saying is, he says, when we prioritize the blessing over the blessor, we then have created an evil. He says it becomes the gateway of all type of evils. So it is not the money that is evil. But when I prioritize the money above God, when I prioritize the money above others, when I prioritize, watch this, when money means more than life, when I will kill to get it, when, 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 I, will, when I will break covenant to get it, that's where the evil is. All right, so I don't want anybody going trying to expunge their counts tonight. Listen, you, you got, and I'm like, really, really, like you were going to do that. Uh, the reality is, it's like, I know it's evil, but uh, it's a necessary evil. You know. It's the love of it. It's when you, when, you, when you put it in an improper place, that's when it will become a gateway to all type of evils. Here it is. It looks like this. When you have more money than you're willing to be accountable with. When you have enough money to where you can prepare accounts whereby you don't have to answer questions. It is the root of evils. It, it, is, it is when, 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 we, when we appropriate it in our heart to the degree that now I don't have to answer questions. Because I can do with this what I want to do with it. And ain't nobody going to ask me anything. That's where the evil comes in. Because we have now put that in a place beyond the accountability of the Lord. And even those that God has put in our lives to, be, to, to, do, to do covenant with. The people, the men especially that, 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 that cover me, they have a right to know what I do with my money. And any time I determine that the people who watch over my soul can't have access to what I do with my money, I then have engaged in a love of that money. Are we going to deal with this? And it's going to take some time, and we're going to be all right. We're going to be healed and living in a couple of years. Amen. We're going to be all right after a while. By 2022, you're going to be good. I promise. The reality is, is that what, what we're hiding is not the money. What we're hiding is what our fleshly desire affords us through the money. It's not the money that's evil, but it is the desire that that money facilitates. And so we have to be very careful that everything God blesses us with, that it is under subjection. That it is under subjection. Here, here, here is the reason why the tithe is so important. Not just so that the church functions can go on 
And yes, it is, it, is, it is right that we tithe. It is right that we give. But here is the, here's the greater reality. The reason why we tithe is so that God remains, watch this, he remains the authority of our finances. Here it is. Okay. Anything you tax, it, it, any authority that's able to tax your finances is the authority over your finances. So you own your money. Yeah, you, okay. I mean, no, no, let's tell the truth. You don't even own your money because it ain't got your name on it. It is a federal note. You, you are just the person it's in care of. To that degree, you have to pay taxes on it. And if you don't pay taxes, they're going to come get you. And they will put you in a place that you'd not want be. But when we tithe, this is what we're saying. Lord, you are the authority of my finances. This is why we tithe off of everything. Oh, here it is. Any money we don't tithe over is money we don't want God to rule over. And we say to God, even if we don't say it out of our mouth, this is, what, this is what we say through our actions or through our non-action. That I'm in control of this and I will do with it what I want to do. I don't need your approval. Paul says and when you get there, there will be all type of evils that will ensue. But we close this sermon by looking at the things that will bring us great gain. First thing he says is godliness. Everybody say godliness. This godliness speaks of devout practices and appropriate beliefs about God. Devout practices and appropriate beliefs about God. But now let's deal with that first one, devout practices. Devout practices are developed through divine principles. You cannot have devout practice unless you have divine principles. So you cannot live your life according to how the rest of the world lives their life. You should have days that you honor the Lord with. That's a divine principle. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Hallelujah, somebody. I'm, I'm, I don't know if it's, I'm getting older or if, or if my grandfather's spirit is being resurrected in mine, but I, I start getting antsy about church folk, about Christians, folk who love Jesus and, and, and plan a whole bunch of stuff on Sundays. I'm like, you had six other days that you could have did this, but Sunday, the only day you can do this. They ain't got it no other day. It's, it's the only day. And, and it got to be done between 11 and 2. Amen. I love you. I promise we're still family. But the reality is, is that if we don't allow ourselves to live according to divine principles, we will not have devout practices. If we just do whatever we want to do, if, if, if our calendar has, has, has no, no barometer, if there are no blackout dates, if there are no things that we've said, listen, this is what we do as a family, this is what we do as a family of Christ, there will be no devout practice because we're not living according to divine principles. Can I help you for a minute? There are many people who are saved but who are not living according to divine principles, therefore have no devout practice. There are some people, it's, it's in etched in their being to find a place of worship, to, to pray on a daily basis, to find themselves in this word. And, and let me say this, I'm not just saying that you got to come, you know, you, you got to come to church, but there ought to be a desire in your heart to be in the presence of God. Amen, somebody. And so we need to adopt and develop divine principles in order for us to have devout practice. I'm not expecting anybody that does not live according to divine principles to have devout practice. You can't be committed to the work of the Lord 
Because the word of the Lord hasn't even taken root in you. Let me say this one more time. Be very careful of trying to make somebody commit to the work of the Lord if they have not received the word of the Lord. We want to be great people. So we want to engage in devout practices, but that engagement, that, 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 that continual working of devout practices must come through the development of divine principles. What has the Lord said? What has the Lord said? What shall we do? How shall we live? I'm going to hit it just because I feel it in my spirit. The reason why we, don't, we, 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 we should not have sex before marriage is not because we're old school. But it's because it's a divine principle. Because God doesn't want your soul to be tied to anybody that you... That's not worth your covenant. And if, and if you don't believe me, young people, go talk to somebody right now. They're probably on your road. That engaged with somebody that was no good for them. That's probably a demon. And in their soul right now, they still have an ungodly affection for a demon. And they like, listen, listen, don't do it, mom, don't do it, boo. Because right now, she's, she's still right now, if she get too lonely. So it's, it's, a, it's a divine principle. Because I want you to be free. I don't want you to be bound. I don't want, I don't want anybody to have a chain on you. I don't want anybody to pull you out of where you've been. So this is why I'm telling you not to do this. You cannot have devout practices without divine principles. Set free. But not only is divine practices, but appropriate beliefs about God. You would be surprised how many things we think about God that God never... He never told us to think about him. Here it is. This is why, watch this. Okay, this is how you know I'm, I'm telling the truth. This is why some of y'all, uh, some of us, amen, some of us, we, we really haven't started living for God until this season of our life. We were baptized as kids. But because we, we were nestled under, watch this, we were nestled we will, we will nestle under inaccurate doctrine. Appropriate beliefs are founded on accurate doctrine. This is why the preacher has to study to show himself approved unto God. Oh, catch this, catch this, Reverend. This is why it's not good enough for you to know the word, but the word has to now know you. And so when, 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 you are, when you are tested by the doctrine, not only, watch this, not only is the doctrine accurate, but here's how, watch this. Okay, here it is. Y'all ready? Here is the, a divine litmus test of how accurate somebody's preaching is by how accurate they live. Because there's no way you can teach accurate doctrine and that doctrine not change you. Oh my goodness. I wish I had a couple of people in here. You ever really got a good revelation? You were like, dang, you done messed up my whole weekend, Jesus. Hey, listen, I was going to come through, but I just read this scripture in my devotion, so I ain't coming tonight. Bye. I was about to go turn up, then I had this old you, this old you version, scripture. I was showing up ready, had my fit out. Did this little reminder. Then you, you stand, uh-huh, and then you sit down like, oh, shoot. Thank you, Lord. I can tell how accurate your teaching is by how accurate your living is. And so we have to allow the word of God to permeate our lives, to change the way we live. Accurate beliefs are founded on accurate doctrine. 
This is a time. This is a day. This is a season. I promise you, listen, I was that preacher. Every Sunday, it would end with a hoop. I was going to close it, y'all. I know it's all right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you, that's, that's that Baptist preacher. Lord Jesus. You know, all that good stuff. But I had to ask myself, how accurate is my doctrine? Because I had to look at how I treated my wife and my kids. Or those couple of years that I was pastoring before I was married, I had to look at these relationships. Okay, amen. Set free. I, I, had to, I, I had to reconcile my preaching and I had to try to figure out why aren't people changing? I'm preaching, but why aren't people changing? Because you're sleeping with her. Oh, 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 that's it, dang, I'm not sleeping with her though, but you want to, reverend, and that's the problem. I got to do with my heart too? But when I have accurate doctrine, this is why, this is why, watch this, this is why this stuff is seeping into your life. And this is why some of us are struggling right now. Because now we're getting accurate doctrine. And now we're struggling with the vices and the things that we've been doing. And we've been going to church and we were never convicted because there was no conviction in the room. But now because we're in accurate doctrine and now we're, we're in a place where we've been called to a higher standard where we got to actually live what we preach and teach. Now it's like, and there's a, watch this, here's what Paul says. He says there's an enmity, there's a war going on. My flesh was never challenged. Every conference, every concert, everything was never challenged. Now the word of God is going forth. Now I'm mad at myself. And now I'm having you know, existential funks and I'm going through stuff. Because stuff that used to taste good, now it's nasty. We didn't have no problems in this relationship until I started learning the word of God. Now they tripping. Now they. Now we can't see eye to eye no more. Now we don't understand one another. Now we, you know, everything is an argument. Because you accurate. Now I was like, ah, oh, this is not right. It's not right. Because you actually got sight. You took them beer goggles off. You know, you're really seeing for what they are. You really see it. And you're like, oh, my gosh. This is what I'm attracted to? I digress. But finally, contentment. Contentment speaks of inadequacy, especially that results in satisfaction with one's life because of who it is situated in. Here it is. We're done. I may not have everything that I want. I may, I may not be everywhere that I want to be, but I know, I know that my life is situated in Christ. And since I'm in Christ, since I'm in him, since I'm locked in to the presence of the almighty God, whatever I need, He's going to give me. Wherever I need to go, he's going to take me. Whatever needs to be removed, he's going to remove it. Whatever I need to see, he's going to show me. Whatever I need to hear, he's going to say it to me. Whatever I need to know, he's going to teach me. I'm good. Watch this. You okay? You ever had that? Come on, y'all. Y'all, y'all. All hell breaking loose. And somebody like, you all right? Yeah, I'm, I'm good. I'm okay. I'm, I'm making it. And they trying to figure out why you ain't lost your mind yet. But it's because I know who got me. I got a lot of stuff going on right now, but I'm still in Jesus. I got a lot of weight on my chest, but he said he would never leave me. 
nor forsake me. I'm hungry right now, but he said, I shall supply all of your... I wish I had somebody in here that says, I got joy right now, even in the hardest place of my life, because I know who holds my future. Is there anybody in here that says, I may be going through, but as long as I got Jesus, I'm going to make it through. I wish I had a church that got Jesus. I'm moving. I'm gone. I'm gone. I'm gone. But just tell somebody, Jesus is with me. My my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and his righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but a holy lean on Jesus' name. Where my church? On Christ, the solid rock I stand. All of the ground is sinking sand. As long as I got Jesus. I wish I had somebody uh, that says he's bread uh, when I'm hungry. Uh, he's shelter uh, in the time of storm. Uh, he's a rock uh, in a weary land. Uh, is there anybody here uh, that says as long as I got him, I'll be all right. Now, excuse me. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm letting it go. But as long as I got him, I'm going to be all right. Storm clouds may rise, contrary winds may blow, but I have a savior. (laughs) I wish I had a real church right there to just give them glory. Come on, just lift up your hands and bless it. I've had some good days, and I've had some hills to climb. I've had some weary days and I've had some sleepless nights but when I look around and I think things over all my good God outweigh my bad days and I my God I'm sorry I got excited there because I began to remember that I was almost out. I remember when I was to my last, I ain't got no help here. I remember when I didn't have no food to eat. I remember when I was staying in that motel. But the Lord will make a way somehow. Is there anybody in here that says I'm a testimony? I've been down, but the Lord made a way. I've been there, but he brought me back. I've been sick, but he healed my body. I've been lonely, but he gave me comfort. I've been sad, but he gave me joy. I've been despondent, but he gave me hope. I've been bewildered, but he gave me peace. I got great games. I got great games. I'm never alone. I'm never by myself. If I get hungry, he'll feed me. If I get naked, he'll clothe me. If I get homeless, he'll shelter me. I'm leaving alone. So, Father. Make us people of great gain. Let us be godly through, through our, our devout practices, your divine principles, through accurate beliefs. Father, we, we are... We are desiring more than any, any f- temporal, physical thing. We desire more than anything else to be like you. We want to be right before you. We only want what you want for us. We only want to go where you want us to be. We only want to do what you want us to do, God. We want to have great gain, and we know that that great gain is in you. So, Father, bless my brother, bless my sister. We pray. That through this teaching today, through this preaching today, uh, that someone's heart is pricked to be drawn closer to you. 
to live a godly life, to live a content life. Whatever you give us, no matter how much it is, we're thankful. Wherever we live, no matter how big or how small it is, we are thankful. Whatever we eat, no matter the grade, we thank you. However you transport us from one place to another, therein we are thankful. Whatever you give us to adorn us, Father God, we're mindful and we're grateful that we don't have to walk around naked. So we're, we're thankful. Teach us to be grateful people. Teach us to be godly people. Teach us to be content people. And it is so. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Anybody here for the Lord today? Praise the Lord.